0: the 200 level episode 161 ask carp anything number 2 now we did this about a year ago after the pandemic started and admittedly it is a bit low hanging fruit it's when you aren't sure what to talk about so you ask the followers on twitter and the listeners hey what do you want to ask me it could be sports related or not and we got about 50/50 we're going to start with the sportsy stuff and move into other topics but i appreciate all the feedback on Twitter for today's episode. And this has been a week that's a little bit different than what we anticipated. I thought I was going to come on here on Thursday and talk about the game against Nebraska. We weren't going to do a live podcast for that one anyways, to take a little bit of a break with that. And instead, we don't have a game on Wednesday. And now we're starting to be concerned maybe about Michigan State next week getting postponed. They are currently in the midst of a pant- a breakout, it looks like. But we will have another live podcast on Saturday against Ohio State. Fortunately, that is an early game. So about noon, we'll turn on the microphones and record that podcast for a huge game for this Illinois team. And then next week, let's see, a Tuesday game against Penn State. We may or may not do a live podcast for that. And hopefully by next Saturday, Michigan State will get their stuff in order for yet another big game for this Illinois team. But that's what we got coming up. We'll have some solo podcasts along the way. But for a week that was without a midweek game, decided to go back to the wall that we haven't been to for about 10 months. And again, the questions range the gamut. We'll get to those in just a bit. Before we do, and before we get too far into this, got to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, Online at dpdough.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdough.com. You can get a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. And best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Get a $5 calzone with coupon code Mike or a $6 premium in construction zone, coupon code Mike at dpdo.com. 4th and Kirby online at dot com for vintage-inspired Illini apparel. Get your lucky shirt. Now, Isaac, he had his. It was an 89 flying Illini shirt. He didn't wear it against Maryland on Sunday night, and I'm not saying it's Isaac's fault. But how about we get this ship righted by getting your lucky shirt at dot com, and you can get it 10% off. With coupon code 200 level at com, And finally, State Farm agent uh, Brian Hansen online at Brian is my guy. Dot com For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. We worked with Brian when we moved to the new house, and the process was seamless. Great personalized service from Brian and his staff, and of course, great state farm prices to boot. That is BrianIsMyGuy.com. Got to thank Champagne Showers Podcast Network and alumni Inquirer for being partners with The 200 Level, already in episode 161. So we're kind of plugging along here on, like I said, a, a week that was a little bit quieter than others in terms of Illinois basketball as we wait for a huge game on Saturday. Now, I will say, I didn't mind not having a game last night, and I think for my own sort of mental well-being, it was okay to take a break. And here's what I realized, and this was Tuesday night when Michigan and Wisconsin ended up not being much of a game at all. Michigan may very well run away with this thing. And I want one of two things to happen. I want Illinois to either win the Big Ten title or I want another team, let's say Michigan, to just run away with it themselves so I don't need to sweat it out until the last week of the season. I find myself in this predicament and the most obvious example would be back in 05 against Arizona, down 15 with four to go. And the comeback starts happening and I say to myself, either lose right now, just like end it or finish the comeback. Don't give me any sort of in-between fake rally sort of thing. And in terms of this season, I kind of want the same thing. I don't need a fake rally to finish fourth in the Big Ten. I want clarity, if anything, and I want to save myself the hassle, or I guess the anguish, of getting too wrapped up in it, only to lose it the last week of the season. And to be honest, the way Michigan's playing and the way that their schedule shakes out, we thought we had breaks. And we do. Iowa at home, only once. You only get Michigan once, even though that's on the road, but not to the degree that Michigan does. One of their tougher games left in the schedule is Minnesota at Minnesota this weekend. That is one of the toughest games that they have left. I think they get Iowa once at home. They get Illinois once at home. Pretty sure that Rutgers, they only get once, and that's at home as well. So they got all the breaks, but not only that, they're just really, really good and it's one thing to beat Wisconsin, a team that I don't think is a top 10 Wisconsin team, but it's another to beat them the way that they did. Wisconsin does not lose games by that margin ever. You don't see that. So that tells me that this Michigan team, they have the talent, and it might actually be Juan Howard, who's got the credentials. Not only is he the Michigan guy that they've so long wanted, but he might just be a really good coach. So if this is how it's going to shake out, And you tell me here on January 14th that Michigan is just a special team this year, somewhat unexpectedly, but regardless, they run away with this thing and then I can just sort of settle back and enjoy each game for what it is. I think that I was getting caught up in this Big Ten race far too early. And we've lived through it enough. Older fans, I should say, have lived through it. We're back in the early 2000s. Every year, you kind of knew what it would take to win a Big Ten title. And it became a pattern. And you knew that a home loss was not debilitating, but really hurt your chances, and that you'd have to go on the road and get a couple wins to make up for it, all that kind of stuff, right? The formula that we talked with Sean Harrington about a few weeks ago. But as of now, if Michigan keeps doing this, then I think some of that fan pressure that I've spoken of before, that lifts a little bit, and you can just enjoy the games for what they are and enjoy this team for what it is. Still a pretty good team. And yes, they will make you pull your hair out sometimes, and they are inconsistent. But if I recalibrate my expectations away from Big Ten title and just enjoy the fact that we get Illinois basketball this season, and I know this sounds very sort of Pollyanna, orange-colored glasses and all that, trust me, I've been frustrated, but maybe I do need to take a step back and chill. That's Fanboy Carp turning over a new leaf, new perspective. Though I say that, and if they lose on Saturday, you can bet that I will be very, very frustrated. They kind of need to beat Ohio State. Okay. Before we get too deep into this, let's do some Ask Carp Anything questions. We got a bunch of them. And we'll start with Illinois basketball, work our way into football, work our way into other topics. And this one from Kyle is simply start Curbello? Question mark. Now, of course, hashtag start Curbello was one of my cause de jour for about a week and a half, two weeks. And then Curbello played like he did against Northwestern and then especially Maryland. Not good. When Trent went out Illinois struggled mightily, and that goes completely against how Illinois had been playing with Corbello the previous four, five, six games. When they went on that win streak, so much of it was due to Corbello getting Illinois out of the hole that they dug themselves in the first four minutes. So would I still like Corbello to start? Yes. I ultimately think your best five on the court is with Corbello. Unfortunately, I think Corbello as a freshman often does lost a little bit of sight of what his role is on this team. And against Maryland, I think, what, 12 shot attempts? Something like that. And as much as we saw the fodder online of he went back out there to shoot shots after the game, that's great, yada, yada, yada. I, I, I don't fall for that as much. Because the simple solution is don't shoot it 12 times a game. No one's expecting Andre Curbelo to be an offensive threat because of his shooting. He's an offensive threat because he can get to the rim whenever he wants, and he feeds the other guys that can shoot the ball. So I would say start Crabello with this qualifier. Just let him ease back into that role. Fall back into it. Stop trying to feel like the onus of the offense is on him because he is a natural facilitator and he just seemed to lose sight of that the last couple games. I think he can write the shit pretty quick. However another qualifier, they are not going to start Cabello. So it is kind of a hopeless cause. And I will say that the way Adam Miller is playing, you're starting to see that confidence again. You're starting to see that shooting ability come back from what we saw in November. And if that's the case, if you can tell me that the starting five can do what they did against even Maryland, the starting five wasn't the problem. It was actually the five that were out there with Cabello. So there's my answer to that, Kyle. Start Curbelo, I'd like it, but you know what? One, it's not going to happen. And two, if this current starting five can figure it out as they seem to maybe have done the last couple games, then we might have something here with him off the bench. Sean. Kind of a follow-up here. You talk a lot about plus-minus numbers for players in games. How is this calculated, and where can it be found online? Is this a Ken Pom thing? So, Sean, it's not a Ken Pom thing, even though they might take it into, into equation. It is an imperfect stat, which simply means when that player is on the court, what is the margin for their team? If Andre Curbelo is on the court, and I think a few games ago, he had a plus-26 or something like that, something ridiculous. The Purdue game, I'm pretty sure. And that just means when he was on the court, Illinois outscored Purdue by 26 points. Now, it is an imperfect stat because that is one of five guys on the court. It doesn't really take into account who the opponent is. So analytically, there are flaws to it. And it's not something that you would just simply say, Andre Corbello was plus minus this, so therefore start him. But if that number becomes consistent, and you see that a certain guy is consistently a plus, and a guy is consistently a minus, for example, Georgie last year, consistently a minus, And I think a little bit more iffy the last few games as well. That might be an indicator of how that guy's playing. It is not a Ken Palm thing. Illinois, I believe, is still 11th on Ken Palm. Pretty good. Good strength of schedule. We're still waiting for maybe the marquee win, the win against a really good team that makes you think that they are worthy of that top 15. Or I think if everything shakes out, they can still be a top 10 Ken Palm team. And they love the way that this Illinois team plays offensively. I get it. And defensively, they seem to measure up okay as well. I think we just see that the cohesiveness, something is amiss. This team at its peak is so good. This team, when they're bad, is not good at all. And we're getting far too many of those extremes instead of finding a happy medium where they can show that consistency. So long-winded way, Sean, of saying plus-minus, just simply, if a player is out there, what is the margin for his team when he's on the court? Cribello has plus-minus pretty good this year, but it was not good against Maryland. I know it was a minus for sure. I think minus eight or nine, something like that. All right, Jennings ask, what one result would you change for this basketball season if you had a magic wand to make it a W? Jennings has another question here in a bit, but let's start with this. What one result would I change? Before Tuesday night, I, I would have said Maryland. Before Michigan smoked Wisconsin, I would have said Maryland because I felt like that game hamstrung you the most to win a Big Ten title. And I know that sounds crazy, because wouldn't you want to change the Baylor game and have that one in your pocket? To be honest, Jennings, I'm not going to pick the Baylor game in either hypothetical because Baylor's just that good. So yeah, I got the magic wand. I get it. But it's a loss that doesn't hurt you at all. Winning it, of course, would help you. I just feel like they're in a different league, and I'm going to stick with the games that were actually winnable. So before Tuesday night, Michigan smoking Wisconsin I would have said Maryland because that hurt your Big Ten title chances but after seeing the way Michigan plays as I said in the opening segment or just after the opening segment I'm willing to acquiesce that the Big Ten title may not be in the cards this year so I would actually go back probably to the Missouri game and the rivalry and the fact that it means something to me it's a rivalry game that doesn't seem to mean much to this current roster for whatever reason And I would love to change that result because even though Illinois didn't show up like they should have that night, and Missouri clearly did, that's a loss that doesn't hurt you, but I would have still been fine with them sneaking out with the win, right? It's better to win and have a learning experience after a victory. Instead, you lost that game in frustrating fashion and Missouri fans, for what little it's worth, they get to hang that over your head for now the third year in a row. And eventually, you got to be Konzo. Konzo's fine, you could do worse as a coach. I wanted him back in 2017. Me and Brightweiser talked about it plenty on those early 200 levels because it felt like he would maximize recruiting here and then you get the studs and then you can just kind of figure out how to win from there. Listen, I would take Brad Underwood over Kanzo. There's no doubt. But I would like to have my cake and eat it too. I'd like to keep Brad Underwood and beat Kanzo. And I don't think that's too much to ask. So before Tuesday, I would have wanted that Maryland game back knowing that Michigan might run away with this thing. I want the Missouri game back. Another question here from Jennings. What one player in the history of Illinois basketball would you place on this current team if you again had a magic wand to do so? I love this magic wand power, Jennings. So here's what I'm going to do. If I look at this team, as much as I like DeMonte, he is sometimes outmatched playing the four. And he plays the four quite a bit defensively. I would go back for one of two guys. More recently, I would go with Laron Black, another scoring threat in your starting five athletic number four out there in the starting five for you if i can go back and choose one of the all-time greats i'd choose roger powell sticking with the four spot a guy that can get the rebounds um efficiency offensively super high and also don't forget how good of a defender roger powell was i don't think any of us necessarily did but he was not just productive on the offensive end he was a stopper defensively even though he was what six six so not the biggest four but what he lacked in height, he made up for in athleticism. So I'm going Roger Powell as the obvious choice to slot in there. And LaRon Black is the more recent history guy that would have made a difference on this team. He would have made a difference, of course, on Brad Underwood's, what was that, first or second team? Did he play a year for Underwood? I'd have to go back and look that up. But I'm going with the four. Doesn't mean is not going to be part of the rotation. He still will, would be, but I think that you're finding there are some matchup problems with him. And against a more athletic and longer team like Maryland. That's where you really kind of struggle without that size. Thanks Jennings. Appreciate it. We got Russell here. How scared are you of an IO and Kofi less team next year? We seem thin in terms of depth. uh, Russell, I am concerned. I think that what you have, so let's go with a starting five next year, presuming that IO and Kofi leave. Let's say Georgie's your starting five. Now uh, Georgie has struggled the last few games. Ultimately, there may be something to the fact that he is better as the starting five. Offensively, I feel like he'd be fine, right? I think that Georgie's going to produce offensively next year. Defensively, I understand the concerns, even though he has improved, I think, defensively this year. Let's say he's your starting five. Let's say for sure you got Curbelo and Miller as your one and your two. Where else do you fill that starting lineup? The key to next year, Russell, is going to be whether or not Trent and or DeMonte comes back. And I think either of them could. I don't know if DeMonte has a future in Europe, a long professional career ahead. Same with Trent, maybe because of his size, even though I could see him having a longer career. Regardless, I think that both of those guys could take that flyer on an extra year, come back, get your master's degree, whatever it may be, and be the veteran leaders on that team. If you tell me that the roster next year, the starting five, is Curbelo, Miller, Trent, DeMonte, and Georgie, You're a tournament team. You aren't competing for a Big Ten title, but you're a tournament team. This does not factor in guys like Hutcherson, who I think him not being on the team may hurt you this year. We don't know what he would be. And listen, I've seen far too many transfers come in and not really produce at all to say that Hutcherson would have been the cure for what ails this team. But he would have been a shooter, probably would have been a better option than Grandison. We're seeing Grandison's limits. Coleman Hawkins, maybe he takes a big step, but we just have not seen enough of that to make that determination. Luke Goody will probably give you some shooting ability, but as a freshman, how much can you bank on that? And what's so difficult about this, Russell, is not knowing how you're going to fill out the rest of the roster. Now, eventually, they got to start landing somebody. Oscar Shibway going to Kentucky, not a huge deal in and of itself. But you just add that to the list of guys that have spurned Illinois, despite the fact that you should be able to sell this program by now. And you should also be able to sell immediate playing time, even starting five positions for some of these guys are going to be hitting the transfer market. I think they can fill it out. I'm not giving up hope yet, but I am a little bit weary about why we are not landing guys. And when you couple that with an uneven, uneven performance on the court. Yeah, I don't feel as good about next year's roster as I did, um, you know, heck, six months ago. When it felt like, yeah, you got Luke Goody and you'll figure it out. Well, they haven't figured it out yet. They got time, but they haven't yet. So I am on a 1 to 10 scale in terms of being scared, Russell. I would say I'm at a 4 or a 5 just because there's so many unknowns. And I think you'll be fine as long as you got Curbelo and Miller. I think that's a backcourt that you can run with. We're seeing Miller start to play well. And I think Corbello is truly a phenomenal player. And despite the last two games, I'm not worried about him. He is a guy that you can immediately raised that floor because he got that good of a point guard. All right. I think that might be, there's some more basketball things coming up, but not so much for this team. We got a run here from Russell and Mark and Blockhead about Illinois football. So Russell asked, what's a bad, okay, and good season for Brett next year? Uh, Let's see here. Mark asked, how much success do you think is needed to satisfy the majority of fans as well as yourself? Blockhead asked for expectations for BB's first year. Am I crazy for thinking five or six wins? Obviously, a lot will depend on how we look and not just record, but I'm pretty high on the staff. Russell, Mark, Blockhead, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with year one. Expectations. Isaiah Gay, he comes back. He's another in a long line of guys that are returning for that extra year. So you're seeing that the sales job is working on a lot of these seniors. That's a good sign. Not surprised. Brett Bielema, after we found out after the press conference, he's not a bad sales guy. He knows how to work fans, and I'm sure that he knows how to work recruits. And in this case, he knows how to work the guys that are already in that locker room. So that's encouraging that he was able to do that. Uh, Let's see here. It also looks like Blockhead, you mentioned how you're pretty high on the staff. Clearly, Brett Bielema was able to sell the staff. A lot of these guys had pretty decent positions already at Power 5 programs, and they chose to come coach under Brett Bielema, which tells me that the guy still has some cachet. You got a bunch of guys that have been around college football for a long time. And that is vastly different than Lovie Smith's staff. First year expectations. You are not crazy blockhead for thinking five or six wins. I'm leaning more towards five because I think, and I know Jeremy has talked about this on his podcast, as high as a lot of us were, and even as moderately, you know, cautiously optimistic as I was going into the season. At the end of the day, all this bluster about how much talent had brought in Unorthodox through the transfer market, but how much talent he brought in, a lot of that did not come to fruition. So I can't go into next year saying that Illinois has the fourth best roster in the Big Ten West. They don't. They are probably, in terms of talent, the lower part of the Big Ten West. Probably better than Purdue, I think, because for whatever reason, Brahma's struggled mightily. I still think that you hang in there with the likes of Nebraska just because something's not quite right over there. But I was going to be good. Wisconsin. Probably still going to be good. Northwestern doesn't look like Fitzgerald's going anywhere. Probably still going to be pretty good. But Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, can you find your way towards the top of that pack? Best case scenario, I think you could next year because of all the veterans coming back and because of the coach. I really am high on Bielma just raising that floor because he knows how to run a college program. So yeah, no, it's not crazy to think five or six wins. What is it? Universe, University of Texas, San Antonio is a game, Virginia, and then one gimme. And I understand that Virginia and UTSA are not the gimmies that you would normally would like in a non-conference. But let's just say you go 3-0, and right? Then you find yourself needing two or three Big Ten wins in a nine-game schedule. I think you can do it. I do. So five or six wins is not crazy. Uh, and a bad, okay, and good season to Russell's question. What would be a bad, okay, and good season for Brett next year? Six wins or more is a good to great year for Brett. Okay is, I think, five wins, Russell. I think you still feel pretty decent about that. Four or less, hard to say bad being first year, but I do know that I'm a little bit tired of the first year complete disasters, no matter who your coach is. We're talking zero to two wins. Lovey went three and nine. That was the best first year for an Alani coach. We are not counting cubits here. Beckman was two and 10. If you go back to Ron Zook, he was two and nine. If you go back to Ron Turner, he was 0 and 11. So first years don't tend to go well. I don't think this is a full-on rebuild, so you shouldn't have that. But good is six or more, okay is five, bad is four or less. Expectations of recruiting. This is a question from Russell. I think you're going to find yourself in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten when things get going. And if you find yourself in the 40s nationally... That can work here. The problem was that Levy Smith was more in the, you know, 70s. As a Big Ten team, you cannot afford that. So if you can find your way in the 40s consistently, I do have enough faith that you have a system that will be put in place where you can plug guys into the positions that they need. You'll have strong line play. You will just raise that floor. You will be fine. And I think that this goes into Mark's follow-up question. How much success do you think is needed to satisfy the majority of fans as well as yourself? And Mark, appreciate the compliment that you put at the end of that message. Um, I would say for me, you know, kind of beating a dead horse here, but we joke and have often about how a guy that wins seven games a year at Illinois is going to get a statue. I don't think that is hyperbole. And for me, all I really need, Mark, is the ability to wake up on a college game day and go to Lot 31 and just be excited, even moderately excited, about the team that I'm about to see and feel like regardless of who's in here, we got a chance. And that regardless of the season, we're going to be in some bowl game or another. Yes, he got nine Big Ten games and only three non-conference, but even in that setup, you should be able to find your way to six wins more often than not. And I go back to, and this is why the Tony Peterson hire kind of excited me at offensive coordinator, was in the early 2000s, I looked at Minnesota and the perpetual seven and five, the occasional eight and four that Glenn Mason built up there. Beating up cupcakes in the non-conference, winning some games in the Big Ten, where you felt fine. I'm okay, Mark, feeling just fine about Illinois football because I'm holding on to the fact that Brad Underwood will figure this thing out and keep Illinois basketball at a pretty high level. I'm still counting on that, which I may regret as time goes on, but I I think it'll work. But for Illinois football, that means that my expectations, they kind of go down the better that Illinois basketball is. That's why this year didn't hurt as much. For one, I knew Lovey was going to be gone. And for another, Illinois basketball was on the horizon anyways. I'm used to that as a fan. So just give me the six, seven wins a year, the occasional eight. That's all I need. And honestly, Mark, I would happily trade that in for the occasional 10 or 11 win season, which I've seen before. The Sugar Bowl year, the nine win Rose Bowl year. I don't need to reach those heights. All too often we've done that, and then we don't follow it up, and it just becomes this one-off season that doesn't have a lot of carryover. I don't want that. I would prefer seven and five every year for eternity over the 10-win season following that up with five and seven because there's nothing more deflating than having a great year and then the next year not following it up. And I got a question coming up where I'll I'll illustrate that point. So Russell, Mark, and Blockhead, I hope I kind of answered the question about Illinois football and expectations for that. All right, here's an interesting question from F. Illini Fan. You can have five three-point shooters from the 90s. Or current alani hoops roster in a three-pointer competition who are they now i didn't fully get that second part there f alani fan but what i am going to do is pick five three-point shooters from the 90s and you can pick any one of these guys put them on this illinois team which i know technically illinois is shooting okay from three they're just really inconsistent but i'm going with three guys that i would immediately add to this team as a shooting threat or five guys that i would immediately add as a three-point shooting threat the first one is andy kaufman His junior year averaged 21 points a game and I think was over 40% from three. He took a bit of a step back his senior year, but that did include, of course, the Iowa buzzer beater. The guy could uh, fill it up. I'm going Andy Kaufman as my first pick. The second pick, obviously, and not just because he had great hair, Richard Keene. Now, I know he didn't quite live up to expectations. From what I recall, he was a five star, and it was Duke or Illinois. And Richard Keene, I think, averaged by the end of it, he was a 10 point a game guy. He was pretty good. I think a good defender too, if I recall. But he never quite reached that all Big Ten level that a lot of people probably hoped when he came in here. I distinctly remember conversations at the dinner table after Illinois got Richard Keane. I know my sister loved him. I mean, what female didn't like Richard Keene? And that he just kind of became a role player, which is a bit surprising. But the guy was still a great shooter. Here's one. Kevin Turner, senior year Kevin Turner, 98 team. There was a game at, I think, UCLA, and it was a late game, so I had a transistor radio under my pillow. I know that sounds cliche, but I did. Listening to that as Kevin Turner went off for like 30 points. Now, that was his best performance of the year from what I recall, but he was remarkably consistent as a shooter his senior year. So I'm going Kevin Turner. I'm going Matt Heldman. 40% three-point shooter for his junior and senior year became a really, really good, not just shooter, but... Pretty good facilitator, if I recall, as well on that starting five that included him, Kevin Turner, Jerry Hester, Chris Gandy, and Brian Johnson. I think I got the starting five right for that. And then Corey Bradford. He came in here in 98, 99. You know that Corey's my guy. Of course, I'm adding him to this team as a three-point shooter. If we went further, you got the Sean Harrington's of the world. You got Jamar Smith. You got Kendrick Nunn, especially his sophomore and junior year. He really developed a good shot. It's a shame that that career ended here and all the -the off-the-court stuff, which was very unfortunate with Kendrick. But there have been plenty of guys, but to go back to the 90s, Andy Kaufman, Richard Kane, Kevin Turner, Matt Heldman, Corey Bradford. I don't know if I'm forgetting anyone from, let's say, 95, 96, 97. I know that skews a little bit early 90s, and then it skews late 90s. But those are my five. Okay, this is from Al. I had to think about this. I actually had to write it down to make sure that I got all the big ones. Biggest gut punch as a sports fan. One moment where one of your sports teams really let you down or had something happen that just crushed you. For the next two questions, Al, you have one. Chris, you have another. I'm going to go with my four favorite teams. I'll save Illinois basketball for last. I'm going to start with the Yankees first. The most crushing moment, even more than the 2004 ALCS, was 2001 World Series Game 7. Why was that more crushing? Because the Yankees had the lead. I think they were up 2-1. to one. Bomb of the 8th, Mariano Rivera comes out, gets the first three outs very quickly. So now we're going in the ninth. This is just after Alfonso Soriano hit the go-ahead home run for the Yankees. Roger Clemens and I think Kurt Schilling, they had a pitcher's duel. Randy Johnson came out and I pitched, I think, pitched three or four innings for Arizona in relief. So then you get to the ninth and we know what happens. Arizona made a comeback. I think what made it sting even more was that it was a little fluky, off-the-handle-of-the-bat hit for Luis Gonzalez. In the shallow center. He didn't even hit it hard. And I think Mariano, after the game, even said, I threw in my best stuff. And he just, he just hit it. And that made it honestly harder to take than if you would have had Gonzalez hit a home run or something and make solid contact. There was something, not fluky, because Arizona, if you look at that World Series, completely crushed the Yankees in games one and two and game six. The middle three games in New York were some of the best World Series games ever, including two walk-offs by the Yankees up Young Hyun Kim. Uh, one of them, Mr. November. That's how Derek Jeter got that name. It was just after midnight. He hits a home run up Yun Hyun Kim. Two nights in a row that happened. And then game seven, finally, you got a classic game seven World Series game. First one since, I think, 97 when it was Indians and Marlins. And then it ended like that. I think, you know, under the specter of what happened with 9 11 and feeling like Team of Destiny kind of stuff, which is silly to lump in a world event with a sports game but it just felt like the way those middle three games won at yankee stadium when they were kind of dead to rights after those first two games against arizona and then it ended like that it felt so anticlimactic i know i know there are a lot of fans that hated the yankees and were not rooting for them even with the 9-11 connection and all that i get it i get it because that that was right when the yankees were basically a juggernaut that was pretty annoying but it was still crushing and i remember actually just sitting in the futon up in the playroom my dad and i just dead silent didn't cry, nothing like that. Just empty, emotionless gut punch. Bears. You know, I had to think about this, and I got to say I'm I'm as low on the Bears organization as I ever have been. Not that I should be surprised with everything that transpired yesterday, their joke of a press conference, but I'm going to go with the Philly game in 09, or sorry, not 09, in 2019. Had a buddy over to watch it. We had just gotten Rosie. Rosie was in her first week at the house and it felt like okay just take care of business against philly and the game was super tight but mitch trubisky to his credit he led the bears on what should have been the game-winning drive he was really good in the fourth quarter not good in the first three but really good in the fourth quarter and then we remember what happened cody parkey off the, off the uprights the guy that i know trevor had said so much on the show on tay and cart back in the day this is going to bite you it's going to bite you and sure enough it bit you in the worst way Cody Parkey makes the rounds on the Today Show later that week. I, I had an in-service the next day, professional development at work. School just got back in session from winter break. And I, it was a cloudy, rainy day, and I was just, like, pissed off. It's just one of those games where it affected my mood for 24 hours. Easy. And it's like, I don't want to watch another football game. I don't think I watch any football games the next weekend. Because the Bears could have went into L.A. and won. They could have. Not saying they would have, but think about what happened when the Bears and the Rams played the uh, month before. In early December of 2018, the Bears stifled the Rams. And I think they could have done it again if they just got over that hump. They only needed to win that one game. And I truly think that they could have went to the Super Bowl. Now, we're finding out that Matt Nagy may not be that good. Ryan Pace may not be that good. But you know what? We're also finding out in the NFL, championship windows, they only are extended for teams that have the likes of an Aaron Rodgers or in some cases like a Pittsburgh Steelers for the bears. There are no championship windows. There are these fluky seasons that you got to make hay in uh, 2006 or in 2010, or in this case, 2018, you need to do it then because if not, it's going to be a while and it's going to be a while as we, as we found out in the 2019 season. And then of course this season, and now that we're going to run it back, Another one would be the Green Bay NFC title game. That was in January 2011, and I'd been at the game before that, the Seahawks game. But you kind of knew from the get-go that it's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, so you had a full game to prepare for that. I was not prepared for the way that Philly game would end. For Illinois football, Michigan 2000, obviously. Anthony Thomas, fumble. No, it wasn't a fumble. Rocky Harvey didn't fumble. Oh, no, it gets called a fumble. Lante is well-documented on 93.5 for saying how... He got kind of reprimanded on the sideline for being as vocal as he was, but it was crushing because it felt like Illinois football was on the verge of that Mike White sort of thing that my dad swapped so and talked about. And walking out of that stadium, you could have told me that this Illinois team would fall apart after that loss, and I would have believed you because it wasn't just the 70,000 people that were packed in there for the biggest Illinois football game at Memorial Stadium since 84. It wasn't just that. It was the fact that we all knew, uh-oh, we missed our chance. Then the next week was all spent with, you know, talking about instant replay. Of course, that's how they instituted it in Big Ten football. And then Illinois got smoked at Minnesota the next week and never recovered. So that was the beginning of the wheels coming off for of that team. Should not have finished five and six. But when you lose a crushing game like that, and you know the team put everything in that game, everything. San Jose State, 2002. Here's a random one. Little five foot six running back for San Jose State. His name escapes me. You lose that game to fall the one and three, I believe, on the season, just a year after the Sugar Bowl. And then later that year, after you kind of recover, you get Ohio State at home. You're four and six. You take number one Ohio State into double overtime. Or is it just one overtime? I forget. Walter Young, I think, had two touchdown catches in overtime. Neither of them were good, according to the officials. And that was that. So much for a bowl game in 2002. Western Michigan in 2008. I walk out of Legends because we had to go there because Big Ten Network was not on Comcast Cable, so I think they had on Dish. And as I'm closing out my tab, the waitress looks at me and she says, are you okay? Because I had a thousand-yard stare. I was devastated, thinking, oh my God, this is, ha- this is a nightmare. Just like 2002, we are going to follow up a big-time bowl game with no bowl game at all. Ugh, crushing. Here's one for Illinois basketball. Arizona 2001. Now I'm choosing this over the North Carolina national championship game because I need to be honest. I woke up that Monday of the national title, not expecting to win. And it was the first time that year that I had that feeling and it carried with me through that the entire day. And I kept trying to talk myself into, Illinois is gonna beat North Carolina. But in my heart, I knew it wasn't gonna happen. And I don't believe in gut feelings so much. I think, you know, they can just as easily go the other way. I think gut feelings are 50-50, right? You could flip a coin. But that day, I just couldn't shake it. So I kind of had resolved myself to the notion that, wow, what a run. We got the Final Four run. We got the Big Ten title, the Big Ten tournament title. It just isn't in the cards because this UNC team, and we knew it all year. It was a collision course. It was going to be number one versus number two, Illinois, North Carolina, and it just didn't happen. But Arizona, 2001, watching that unfold, all of our family and neighborhood crew went to Legends for that one. That was our spot. And we're watching this game in slow motion, essentially. Death by a thousand paper cuts or in this case death by a thousand you know officials whistling a foul that wasn't and I think five Illinois guys fell out of that game Nate Mast, was I'm pretty sure was in it at the end no offense to Nate but you don't want him at the end of a, a lead eight game <laughs> I mean that's the game to go to the final four and I remember as that game ended and we got in the car and went home emptiness just an empty feeling and to this day I think one of the biggest not, not regret but unfulfilled, feelings that I have as an Illini fan is that, that that group of guys should have had a Final Four run. They should have. And it's no fault of their own that they had to play that freaking Arizona team for the third time. I think that's bad seeding. Illinois did not deserve to get the best number two seed in the tournament the way that their season had gone. And Arizona went to the national title game, if I recall, didn't they? I can't recall 100%, but that to me is the most frustrating and, and biggest gut punch. I love that team. It felt like we were elite and we were there to stay and that we were going to go to the Final Four and it just didn't happen. Oh, and by the way, earlier that day, Michigan State, a team that we had beat at the Assembly Hall about a month earlier, they go to the Final Four by beating a 10-seed Temple. A 10-seed. And we get the best two-seed in the land, Arizona. That's just the luck of an Illini fan. Okay, this is from Chris, the other side of it. Favorite game that you've attended for each of your favorite teams? For the Yankees in June 2003, me, my dad, and sister saw Roger Clemens' 300th win and 4,000th strikeout. I understand why that doesn't have as big of a pop now because of all the steroid issues. But you know what? The more time passes and the more I could really care less about steroids, that's pretty cool. It was against the Cardinals. It was a great environment on a Friday night at Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium, back in 2003. Bears, I was lucky enough to at the divisional win against Seattle in 2011. They smoked him. Cutler was great. It felt like we could beat the Packers next week. Of course, we didn't. I'm also going to choose one from the year that they were here at Memorial Stadium. The opening game against Minnesota was fantastic. David Terrell, game-winning touchdown late. It was a super hot September day, and I thought, oh my God, we're going to see a Bears playoff team here in Champaign. We're going to see NFL playoffs in Champaign. Wrong. They won 4-12. and They lost that game against New England in late November, but the atmosphere was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And this is why the McCaskies can get away with what they do. Bears fans are insane. And I mean that as a compliment. They are truly insane. That environment is so special. And I would love for that to carry over, or trickle down to Illinois football fans. They got to win in order for that to happen. But Bears fans are crazy. And that moment was the peak. That team was not going to go to the playoffs. And yet the defending Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots, who, by the way, they did not go to the playoffs that year. That was the only Tom Brady, Bill Belichick team that did not go to the playoffs at least when uh, Brady was healthy. And it was just a sight to behold. Great atmosphere. Illinois football. Two Wisconsin games, 2001, 2007. I, I don't really care about the one last year. There was no carryover effect. Didn't mean anything, really. I mean, of course it meant something beating a top five team, but I wasn't there. I was there for 2001 and 2007, both of which felt like arrival games. Legitimacy games. You won those, and yes, you proved that you were legit. Penn State 2001, second-to-last home game that year. I could have went with Northwestern on Thanksgiving Day when there were 35,000 Illini fans that braved. <laughs> Sorry, I don't need to get snarky here. It was Thanksgiving Day. I understand why people act like that's an inconvenience. Do like our family did. Have the Thanksgiving dinner at dinner time and go to the 11 a.m. game to win a Big Ten title. And 35,000 people showed up. What the hell is that? Regardless, I'm going to Penn State game two weeks before that. By the time we left the stadium at six o'clock, we had just beaten Joe Paterno and Penn State. We trailed 21 to seven at halftime. But then Kurt Kittner did his usual thing. There was a late interception by Eugene Wilson. Walking out of that stadium at night, feeling that buzz, Illinois was eight and one. And I remember thinking, this is nuts. I only saw eight and one records back when Makovic was coach in those old media guides. And now I'm experiencing it and actually getting to live this. So Penn State 2001. Alumni basketball, too many to count seton hall 2001 i could have went with a lot of others uh to start with but seton hall was the first game where at halftime i said to my dad we need to leave this is pointless i was all pissed off i was doing my little mopey fan thing and he said no it's basketball things can change oh did they change frank williams was unconscious that day Corey bradford extends his three-point streak in overtime and that was a special environment it was an early early saturday tip-off i think noon So you had the rest of the day to just kind of relish in it. Oh, and also that was the moment where not as if we needed any convincing, but listening to Bill Self in the postgame press conference, I know my dad and I thought, oh, my God, we had the coolest coach ever. And we did. We did. Michigan State, Wisconsin in 2001, that was back-to-back, one week away from each other. And then Wake Forest 2005, and I'm actually going to put Iowa 2020 All the more important in my recollections, because that was the last time before the pandemic that I got to hang out with my parents inside, you know, had them over for a little pregame cookout, even though the charcoal didn't light. And then I had to put chicken on the, that's a long story. The food wasn't that great, but just to think back to when we could just hang out and then go to a stadium with 16,000 other people and not really worry too much. I know it was in the back of our minds, but I was still a full throated fan going crazy as we're everybody else in that stadium, it was incredible. So Iowa 2020 will always hold a special place in my heart, despite the fact that was the last game of the season. I think that's it for sports. I think that's it. This is from Jeremy Werner, you might know him. He said, you listen to a lot of classic rock, but who are a few modern rock bands that you dig? And will rock music ever be mainstream again? I'm gonna start with the second point about mainstream. I don't think so. And I don't know if that's necessarily a problem because people will find good music I think what it means is that the days of arena rock bands filling out stadiums, top 40 on the charts, I think those days might be over, but that's not a terrible thing because that means that the best rock bands in the world, you can go see them for 35 bucks at the local club or at a theater that holds 2000 people. And to give you some examples of that, Jeremy asked, who are a few modern rock bands that you dig? Queens of the stone age. I go to them. Number one, they are kind of cut from the same cloth as a lot of classic rock bands, They have three guitarists, bass player, drums, one of the loudest concerts you'll ever see, and they still are all about making albums. And to me, that's the most important thing about classic rock and why I love so much of what came from that era. It was all album-oriented rock. They made a 40-minute product, and it had to have a side A and a side B. Essentially, the track listing was like a set list for a concert that had to have a flow to it. Sometimes they were concept albums, Queens of the Stone Age, they pack all of that. Incredible musicians, great riffs. It's loud. They're also eclectic. And they are one of the best live shows you'll see. So Queens of the Stone Age is up there for me. My Morning Jacket, kind of a 180 from Queens, but they still know how to rock. They have a much more lush sound. Great live band that has a little bit of a jam band quality to them. And their fans will go see My Morning Jacket five or six times a tour. I've only seen them four times. One of the best shows I've ever seen, was back in 2017 in Indy at a small amphitheater. And again, tickets for those bands, you can see them for 35, 40 bucks. And they are some of the best rock bands out there. They, I would put them up there with some of the great classic rock bands, but to Jeremy's point, rock music is not mainstream like it used to be. I know one that Jeremy would appreciate, Royal Blood, is a riff-oriented band. It's just a bass player and a drummer, but they pack an amazing sound. There's some bands that I'm not fully into, but I appreciate how good they are. War on Drugs, Tame Impala, Portugal the Man. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. And if we want to throw modern rock bands in there, if we're going back a little bit, hey, Rage Against the Machine, whenever we can go to concerts again, they're back. They're incredible. Zeppelin Riffs with anarchic lyrics Listen, Zach De La Roche is one of the best MCs ever. Tom Morello is one of the best guitarists ever. Amazing rhythm section. Nothing gets me pumped quite like a Rage album. So hopefully they can make some new music along with touring. And, you know, the 90s, I know that might be designated as classic rock, like a Pearl Jam almost. But I think as time goes on, you begin to appreciate what came before. So even going back to like the incubus of the early 2000s and thinking that's good stuff. I know that's not technically modern rock in terms of 2020, but I think the passage of time looks kindly on a lot of these eras. Hey, listen, I even enjoy Limp Biscuit rolling. Okay, now I'm not going to say that they should make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They shouldn't. But rock music, it, even the stuff that you think, yeah, that's not going to age well, it tends to do so. And everything kind of comes back around. This is from Sean. What are your major influences in music, in sports, in life? Whew. Well, I'll start with music. That's easy. It's Led Zeppelin. That's the first tattoo I ever got. It's on my right arm, the four symbols from the best rock album of all time. Sports and broadcasting, I, I lump those together because I don't really have any sports influences because I suck at sports, right? I can't say that I modeled my shot after <laughs> Matt Heldman, right? I can't say that because I, I stink at sports, but I like talking about them. And Boris and Bernstein, I, I remember thinking these guys are a little bit abrasive when I first listened to them, but it was always entertaining. It was never dull. And I never felt like there was so much hot take artist, not to the point of like, pardon my take, or um, or no, pardon my take, pardon the interruption, sorry, and first take, that kind of stuff. And listen, pardon the interruption, I don't mean to lump that in with first take, but you see that a lot of sports talk has went hot takey. Boris and Bernstein, I think, avoided that. It was funny. It kind of appeals to my Simpsons brand of humor. And then in terms of radio in general, Howard Stern, I started downloading old shows of his maybe 10 years ago, and appreciating just how he operated and how he was able to sort of, um, you know, drive the car and, and steer all these different characters coming into a show, coming in and out of it, and still be the guy running the ship and doing it so well and remaining relevant through all these years. And great interviews now, but I also love the old dirty humor too. So like the fact is, he was doing things that had never been done before and just because he was the pioneer, sometimes people think that maybe he's overrated. He's not. He's the best. Opie and Anthony, they had a run and there are some unfortunate things that Anthony Kumia has gotten into over the years. But I go back and listen to those shows and to be honest, that was kind of a template that I had in my mind when Tane Karp started. This idea that you would have your two guys and then you'd have a cast of characters. And we developed that because Trevor and Harry were so good and then Hans was fantastic. And you just get all these different guys that become part of this cast of characters. So that came from Opie and Anthony. Life influences, whoa, I mean, my parents, easy answer. They've been fantastic. They come to every show. I think that I have probably, like a sponge, absorbed the qualities of both my mom and dad. I think that I have just the perfect mix of what they have. And that includes, you know, maybe some of the more um, quick tempered things while watching sports. I know that that probably is hereditary. But yeah, I would say life influences parents. Um, You know, a great group of friends where you kind of develop your sense of humor. And to be honest, your perspective on life through the conversations that you have with friends. So not to be a cop-out answer, I I wish I could say a philosopher or something, but I don't really have that. And uh, I I think it's just the people that you interact with, they help you kind of figure out who you are. So my parents, uh, my family, my friends that we have a chat group with and just kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, not to be a cop-out on that, Sean, but that would be my life influence. That's such a big question. And I was really trying to rack my brain around that a <clears throat> couple more here from blockhead music question top concerts you've attended and maybe a few that you wish you could have seen or really want to attend in the future i wish i could have seen zeppelin wasn't in the cards unless they had a reunion tour in 2008 which they should have because of how good they were in that one show in 2007 i did see jimmy page and robert plant though so i checked that off i saw john paul jones at them crooked vultures and in the future i tell you what not a cop out answer again, Blockhead. I'm just going to as many damn concerts as I can. And and I say that because I have always taken the mindset that I'm going to take any opportunity to see my favorite bands if they're in driving distance. Living in Champaign, it is a concert goer's dream. Chicago, Indy, St. Louis, all an easy drive, which means that you get access to all the best bands in the world. Best shows ever. You two, two of them. Indy in 2001 was the first Eureka moment as a rock music fan. Where the streets have no name, that concert, still the single best song I've ever seen. It was absolute peak. Uh, Chicago 2015 was along the rail for a series of shows at the United Center. That was a fantastic tour. So you 2 Chicago, uh, Chicago for that as well. Springsteen, Chicago 2016. My dad and I got in the lottery. We were the 50th and 51st person in the doors. So we are literally 10 feet away from Springsteen for the entire thing three and a half hours, all the old legendary stuff about Springsteen as a performer. We saw it right in front of our own eyes. DMB, of course, Alpine 2004, that was the moment where I said, I got to go see a bunch of Dave Matthews band shows. 75 shows later, here I am. Radiohead in St. Louis in 2008, spur of the moment with my friend Ben, went and we got these $20 StubHub tickets the day of, and did not expect a lot because they are not a band that you think of on record as a great rock band, but they are a great rock band. It was a very energetic live show, master musicians, great set list, about 25 songs, two and a half hours. Tremendous. My Morning Jacket, Indy 2017. That one was, okay, I need to go see this band a lot more. And here's one that I will never forget. ACDC, Wrigley Field, in the pit, about 10 people deep from the stage, the loudest show I've ever been to, so loud that I found myself laughing hysterically as the bass punched my stomach. And I'm not exaggerating that. It was so loud that I had to laugh. And it was a great rock show. It is pure spectacle. Blockhead asks, top stadiums, arenas for games or concerts you visited? I would say that, you know, listen, Wrigley's not the best concert venue unless you're close. So I wouldn't go with Wrigley for concert venue. Best concert venue is Alpine Valley in Wisconsin. And then the top stadium for concerts. United Center, if you got good seats, it's great. And the acoustics have really improved there. And I will say that I love the Riv up in Chicago. It's a small theater, haven't seen many shows there, but it's a great live venue. Okay, uh, from Effelani fan Superlatives. He said, best office season. I got to be honest, Effelani fan, I've never seen The Office. I got to change it to Simpsons. Season four is the best Simpson season. Worst season, anything after 11. Most underrated character. As I've gotten older, I appreciate Krusty the Clown more and more. And then the must-see episode is last exit to Springfield. So if you got Disney+, Plus, last exit to Springfield, Simpson season four, that'll get you started if you haven't already. This is from Shah," I think is how you say it. Pancakes or waffles? Great question, pancakes. As good as waffles are pancakes and a whole lot of syrup to the point where it actually gets kind of like mushy. Dave asks, oh, wait, Dave, I'm going to save your two questions here for the last because they are a little bit more heady. Uh, let's see here. Trying to go here on Twitter. Uh, this one is from, oh, sorry for the delay here. I got some good ones. From Ethan, what's the best Star Wars media you've consumed? <clears throat> Mandalorian is up there, but Empire Strikes Back is still the one. French toast? Ask Ethan as a follow-up to pancakes or waffles. French toast is great, but I'm still going pancakes. Uh, let's see here. Ethan has a counterpoint to something that Dave is about to ask here. And let's see here. I feel like I'm missing one more. It was a question. Oh, here we go. From Doctor C. Would you rather be trapped on a desert island with Lovey Smith or John Bon Jovi, and why? That is in reply to a tweet that I had yesterday, where I made fun of Toby Keith, and then to say just so you know, it's not political. I don't like John Bon Jovi either. Uh, I would rather be stuck on the desert island with John Bon Jovi, though, Dr. C. I don't think Lovey would make great company after a while. He's a very stoic, introverted kind of guy, so I don't know how much that would go. If I missed your question, I apologize for that. Uh, This is from Dave. Gonna say any names as to who got you kicked off 93.5 from the DIA seems a bit unfair. So, Dave, I've alluded to this uh, at the very last show at 93.5 and then a couple times on this program, what happened. Essentially, I don't know the specific names uh, apart from one name, and to be honest, because of how um, you know how high up they are in the DIA, I'm not going to bother saying it. I'm just going to say that they have some sway if they did, in fact, say something. All I know is this. At the end of the day, the reason why I was a little bit raw about the way things ended at 93.5 is that it doesn't matter what anyone at the DIA said. You know, 93.5 was not going to get the Illini contract. That thing was never going to happen. And I don't know why we felt as a radio group that we had to kiss their ass because, it, you know, listen, we did our thing, WDWS did their thing, and they were going to stay on WDWS no matter what, right? That's the reality of it. So at the end of the day, it could have been the athletic director, and it wasn't from what I understand, but it could have been Josh Whitman that said something. And it wouldn't matter if the general manager of the radio station thought, you know what, this is my guy, I'm going to support him. I think that ultimately it was just a complete, you know, <laughs> if you're talking opposite ends of a poll, opposite ends of a spectrum in terms of almost everything, that's, that's me and Stevie. And I think that ultimately if it comes down to, are you going to support your employee? or Are you going to back them up? You need to first enjoy what that employee is doing. I don't know how much the afternoon show for those two years was really supported by the person at the top. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what people say. I will say, that the last two or three meetings that I had in person with Stevie, and they were few and far between, the last few meetings that I had always included something along the lines of, this person doesn't like what you say, including one meeting, uh, which was a letter from some lady named Donna, and not the sweet Donna that used to call on the show, but some other lady named Donna, or Debbie maybe, that took issue with the fact that I criticized Lovie Smith. And she wrote a big long letter, and Stevie felt compelled to have a meeting about it. And when I left that meeting, I wasn't really sure what the point of it was, apart from Stevie saying, I kind of agree with her. He didn't say that, you know, directly, but that seemed to be the indication. And it felt like my days were numbered. This would have been in October 2018. Somehow it lasted until the meeting the next June, or that would have been, let's see, October 2017. Somehow things just kind of settled until June 2018. And was that 2019? Hell, I'm losing track here. And then had another meeting, and that was when there was a a reference to someone in the DIA didn't like it. They said the name. It was someone that I've known for a long time, uh, someone that is high up there and has been for a long time, has unfollowed me on Twitter and all that, which might lead lead me to believe that he did, in fact, say something. But like I said, Dave, at the end of the day, you know, we weren't on the afternoon show going for access. The occasional interview with a coach or something, that's fine. But ultimately, you don't get a whole lot of entertaining fodder from that. Access to me was never important. Apparently, it was to the radio group, even though, you know, apart from an interview here or there, they're never going to broadcast the Illini games. I don't know why they were holding on to that relationship. And they went with that over what we were doing the afternoon. That's their choice. I disagreed with it. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think everyone's got to get fired at some point. Maybe it's a character building thing. I don't know. But I felt raw about it for sure. And I think that, um, you know, as time has gone on and then you figure out what you're doing with the podcast and, and what the identity of this thing is, you get a little more comfortable with it. But yeah, I'd still like to be doing an afternoon show. We had so much fun. And I think at the end of the day, the biggest, uh, the bitter pill to swallow in all of that was that essentially I was being told that my daily hang session with friends was over. And that's what it was. It was a daily session, hanging out with friends for a couple hours. And then it's like, eh, you don't get to do that anymore. course I got paid for it. That was great. But it was truly more about putting on a good radio show and hopefully the listeners got the fact that we were having fun doing it. It was truly a hangout session and we just happened to be recording it. Uh, Dave, I'm actually going to save that last question for time for another one. Ethan, you had a follow-up. It's about Trump. I mentioned a little bit of the last one and I could go down a rabbit hole, but you know what? I'll save it if that's okay, Dave, because I get the feeling more and more things will probably happen in the in the future. So maybe we can address that again. Not that I'm trying to shy away from that question. You know, I've talked about it, but for time, I'm going to save that. Before we go, got to remind you uh, DP Doe Online at DPDoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 Calzones at DPDoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign, Urbana. That's DPDoe.com. Fourth and Kirby Online at Fourth and Kirby.com. Get your lucky shirt for 10% off. Use coupon code 200Level at Fourth and Kirby.com finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it, brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate the support from all of our sponsors, from our partners, and especially from you, the listeners. Thank you for all these questions today. I know we kind of ranged the gamut from sports and then music at the end there, Dave. Appreciate the question about 93.5. I miss it for sure because we had so much fun and those guys are still friends of mine, but... I also really enjoyed doing this podcast and to see it grow and to continue to interact with all of you means a lot to be part of this conversation. It's pretty cool. And I do not take it for granted. If you want to help us out, rate or review us on Apple podcast, five stars, one star, do what you got to do. We're fine with either one. Hey, by the way, the music on this program, the intro and the outro, both songs from decadence. That's my band. You can find us on Apple music, Spotify, Spotify, latest album is fever dreams the intro song is wasted time the outro as you're hearing now is out of your head we will see you saturday bright and early we're going to do a second half podcast for ohio state and illinois it's a big game in the meantime stay safe stay healthy we'll see you soon it is the 200 level